Thank you, Frankie. And thanks to Dave, too. Thanks for leading us in worship. I wrote down some lyrics that I felt were appropriate for tonight. Um, we need to jump in. We've got, so, the, so the upside is uh, I get to be with you for the next three weeks. The downside is, is that because of that, I get to take my time and we'll get as far as we get. I don't have to rush through things. So you can look at it one of two ways. But guys, I am so excited to get into God's Word tonight. Every time I open it to prepare for this or anything else, even just to spend time with Him, um, and I hope this is your prayer as well. God, just teach me something that was written 2,000 years ago, and He always comes through. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that His Word is inerrant, it's infallible, it's perfect, and it's authoritative. And when I look out tonight and I see this kind of a crowd show up on a Tuesday night, um, when, as Frankie mentioned, we're all busy and we've all got other things to do, that just encourages me, that it satisfies my soul. And so I hope you feel that way as well. There's coffee out in the lobby. Go grab a cup, put it on the Minds tab. It doesn't matter. Um, get comfortable. Dig into God's Word. So open up your Bibles. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. If you've been tracking with us for the past few weeks, we've been going through the book of Acts systematically. And we end up in verse 5 tonight, verses 12 through prayerfully 42. We'll see how far we can get. I've got five things really I want to share with you tonight out of those verses. And they all revolve around this particular question that I want to start with, which is this. What are we leaving those coming up behind us by way of the local church? What kind of a church are we creating are we involved with, if you call yourself a, a member here at Cornerstone or a regular attender, what, what is it that we are leaving those preteens and younger kids that are over in Kaboom as they walk through the next 20 or 30 years of their lives and if some of them end up residing here and going to Cornerstone, what will they experience? And I'm convinced whatever they experience will be built on our shoulders. Because what we're experiencing was built on your shoulders if you were here 15 or 20 years ago starting this church. And with this church, and if you were here that time ago, you, you were living off of the shoulders of whatever Pastor Lynn was experiencing in his youth. It just goes all the way back to what we see in Acts chapter 5 and, and really pretty much the whole book of Acts. And so I just want to ask that question and have you wrestle internally tonight with what part am I playing in creating this thing we call Cornerstone? And guys, I'm here to tell you tonight, it has nothing to do with buildings. and has nothing to do with location and acreage and facilities. It has everything to do with people. It has everything to do with the culture that is created here. You've been to some churches, I'm sure, that are very focused on one particular aspect of the gospel. We just have to get as many people in the building as possible, and we'll do whatever it takes to get them in there. And then we've been a part of some churches maybe that, that we kind of circle the wagons, and, and you know, we kind of take who, who we've interviewed, basically, and we've led in, and we're just going to hang out in our little, little group here and do church, and maybe something in the middle or, or maybe a combination I want to share with us five things tonight that I think that if we put these into practice, and, and certainly we have been putting them into practice, but I mean we, meaning you and me as individuals. If we live our lives 
even close to the way that some of these men and women were living their lives in the first century. There's no telling what God can do. I, was, I wrote down um, some of David's lyrics when, when he was singing up here. Uh, he says, uh, that second to last song, it says, I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. And, and I want that to be our cry tonight because what I'm about to offer you may seem way up here in terms of why well, I can't get there. And if I can't get there, then maybe I'm ineffective in the local church. And I want to suggest this. You may be weak, but the spirit of God is strong in you tonight. And your flesh may fail. You may feel like I can't get to where these guys are going. What they do in Acts chapter 5, I just don't see myself doing. Well, my God is strong in you tonight. And just maybe, just maybe, if we make ourselves available, he will do some of the things we're going to see in tonight's passage. So take your Bibles out, turn to Acts chapter 5, and let's start in verse 12. Here's the first principle I just want us to start with, and I guess is this. The miracles we see in the book of Acts typically, not all the time, but typically are for the purpose of sharing the word of God, sharing the message of the good news. Watch in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Um, it was left off last week in verses 1 through 11. And if you missed last week, a couple named Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. And um, it didn't go well for them. And so they lied to the Holy Spirit, and Peter challenged them on that. He gave them an out. Just tell us, you know, did you give all the money to the church or not? And they said, yeah, we gave all, and they, everyone knew that they hid some, and they thought they could get away with it. Ananias drops dead. He goes to Sapphira a few hours later, doesn't tell her her husband is now deceased. Sapphira, I'm just, I just want to clear things up here. Just, did you give it all, or did you keep some? No, it's all. We gave it all. And Peter makes this, this very aggressive statement he says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. And because of that, this is what it will cost you. And she drops dead. And then watch in verse 11 now. After that happens, she, uh, verse 10, and she immediately fell at his feet and breathed her last breath. And the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried out and buried her beside her husband. And listen to this. Great fear came upon the whole church. And upon all those, and upon all who heard of these things. Okay, so that's where we pick up the discussion in chapter 5, starting in verse 12. I'm going to read verses 12 through 16 and then stop there. Uh, Luke says this, he says, And at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. Um, so, I don't know, Stephen, if you're back there, um, this is, just so you get a visual here, this is what Solomon's portico looked like. I don't know if, if my iPad's attached. Just somebody, I can't see behind the screen, so somebody just clap or yell or something if you can see it, and I'll just keep, I'll keep looking at it until you can. We got anything back there, Stephen? It's, we're maybe having some problems. Okay, well, it's up here, so if, if he gets it up there, just let me know. Um, Solomon's portico was basically this, this aisleway with columns, and across it was the temple. And so it was kind of this open area where great fear fell upon the church, and this is where the, the location takes place where Peter healed the lame man. You'll remember when Peter and John were walking up to the beautiful gate, 
And the lame man in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John heal him. This is kind of that area. And so a large crowd had gathered, and it says, And at the, at the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were taking place among all the people, and they were with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets. By the way, the, 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 the words there for cots and pallets, is he's, Luke isn't just suggesting there's two different kinds of mats. You got it? Oh, look at that. Good. Okay. So this is Solomon's portico. Okay. So, so this is where he would be. Just to give you a visual, uh, and then this would be the north end of it. And so... It just kind of gives us an idea of, okay, I get a, I get a feel now. P picture Peter standing here, okay, and he's preaching now, kind of open-air evangelism, if you will. But this is what it would look like. And this was, again, this is the temple over here. And so picture Peter right here about to say what he's, Peter and John about to say what they're about to say here. God added to their numbers in verse 14 and to, in verse 15 to such an extent that they even carried their sick out on the streets, laid them on cots and pallets. And again, the, the word there for cots denotes um, it was valuable. It was, it was a valuable cot. And then for pallet, it was less valuable. You get the idea that it, regardless of your socioeconomic status, you wanted to be healed. So you would bring your sick regardless of if you were rich or poor. So that when Peter came, listen to this, when Peter, Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. Interesting, we'll talk about that in just a moment. And also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. And so we read that, and sometimes I think, guys, we get caught up in this issue of that's what this is about. If we could just get some healing going on in here, if we could just get some, some people with long shadows walking by and we could all just bring our sick and fall under the shadows, that's what it takes. But notice the pattern here in the book of Acts. Just go back a couple of pages. Go to Acts chapter 2. Peter, the, the Holy Spirit descends on the new church flames are dancing above their heads they're speaking in languages that they weren't speaking in prior to this so much so that the gathering who was speaking in various dialects understood some of the disciples and apostles speaking in their own language and they thought they were drunk and so what does Peter do instead of just instead of just making this an issue of no we're not drunk it's just this is our thing this is our little thing like the Holy Spirit has descended upon us and this is just kind of our little, we're just going to close the doors here. In verses, in chapter 2, verses 15 and then all the way over to 36, Peter preaches a message. In other words, the miracle there was a hook. It was, it was an introduction. It was a way for God's word to get forth in this brand new opening. And we see that throughout the scriptures. Uh, we see that with Paul's ministry. We see that with Moses' ministry. How did Moses start his ministry with the Exodus? With the what? Let my people go, Pharaoh. And then what happened? How many plagues? Ten supernatural events. 
that started his ministry. Jesus, the apostles, uh, Elijah, Elisha, all were able to perform great miracles. And Peter's no different here. But I don't want us to get wrapped up in this idea of that's what we need. We just need great miracles. No, 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 no. We need great preaching. We need great people who are bold enough to step out and say, God, if you should do something miraculous before I start speaking the word of God, so be it. Wonderful. I'm all for it. But the primary emphasis, guys, throughout the scriptures has always been the message. The message, the miracle. And sometimes I think we really get that confused. I'm not convinced that, that miracles aren't effective. I just know that a miracle doesn't get you into heaven. Jesus Christ gets you into heaven. And the only way I know of Jesus Christ isn't through a miracle. If, if someone was lame and came up here and I healed them, they're not going to heaven. They're going to walk. What gets them into heaven is me sitting down with them saying, friend, you need to know Jesus Christ. And then preaching John 3.16 or something of that effect. Peter does that in Acts chapter 2. Look at Acts chapter 3. They heal the lame man in verses 1 through 10. And then when Peter sees all these people in verse 12, he preaches a message to them. Look at Acts chapter 5, what, where, we're right, where we're at right now. Well, we'll see here in just a moment. Um, Peter and John are going to preach a message to these people. In fact, if you go all the way to verse 42, lots going to happen between 12 and 42, but get to 42. And every day in the temple from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Go to Acts chapter 6. Uh, we'll be there next week. Stephen, the first martyr. He's going to lose his life, but right before he loses it, he preaches this great message. Why, did he, why was he going to lose his life? Not to um, uh, give, you, you know, give it away for next week, but if you look at chapter 6, verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. And then they want to kill him for it, but before he dies, here's my message to you. I just, I want us to know, are we a church that preaches the message? And I don't mean up here. See, there's one person up here on Tuesdays, one person up here on Sundays. There's 400 of us out here on Tuesdays, and there's 5,000 of us here on Sundays. Is this church known for these people preaching the word of God? And that's why I started with, I'm so excited you're here tonight. Because that just tells me, hey, we're in this together, Greg. I get it. I'm, I, I drink the Kool-Aid here. I'm in. And I'm in circles that you're not in. I'm in businesses that you're not in. I'm in schools that you're not in. I'm in neighborhoods that you're not in. So when it comes time, if God should, should so choose to perform a miracle to open the door, I'm ready to preach the message. I'm ready for the miracle, but I'm more ready for the message. Is that what we're known for? So that's the first point simply is miracles are usually for the purpose of preaching the word. Okay, here's point number two real quick. Go do uh, chapter five and let's start in verse 17. Here's the second point. The second point is this. Escape from pain doesn't mean we remain idle. 
Escape from tragedy or trials does not mean we remain idle. Rather, it's to plunge us into a new danger. We spend our time going around the circle for prayer requests for things like healing, for things like deliverance, for things like deliver me from this trial or tragedy. And those are fine. I pray them, you pray them. But guys, don't expect when God delivers you from that, that then what he's saying is, is now you can sit idle. But rather, I think what he's saying is, is okay, that season of that trial or tragedy, that's done with. Here's a new danger to get involved with. Because that's what Jesus promises. Um, Okay, before I get there, though, just let me back up because I want to, some of you might have questions about the shadow thing because it's it's kind of a freaky thing and, and it's worth mentioning. Notice what Peter, before we get to 17, then let's drop back to 15. Here's a cool way, actually, to read verses 12 to 15 or 11 to 15. I'm not, this is not in the Greek, and so I just, I make that known, but someone mentioned this, and I thought it kind of made sense. If you take verse 11 and read 13 after it, and then 14 after 13, and then go the last half of 12, and then the first half of 12, and then all of 15, because that, that made sense. But here's how it sounds if you read it that way. I thought it was, it, it made a little bit more sense. Listen to this, starting, I'll, I'll mention it again. So 11 says this, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. And then go to 13. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, they, the people held them in high esteem. 14. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, 12 last half, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico, first half, And at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people to such an extent, verse 15, that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least the shadow may fall on them. Maybe that helps you. Basically what you have is this. You have the unbelievers watching and hearing what just happened. Hey, did you hear about Ananias and Sapphira? No, what happened? I don't know. This, like, this Peter, like he said, hey, where's the money? And they said, hey, we gave it all. Boom, Ananias drops dead. And then boom, Sapphira drops dead. Like this guy is amazing. Like, but amazing in a scary way. Not amazing in a cool way, but amazing like we were afraid of this group. This group of religious people, this group of following the way and the life, we don't know about them. And so I believe in verse 13, those people that say, but none dared to associate with them, I think that they're non-believers. But notice what the back half says, but they held them in high esteem. See, it's like, hey, we don't know what's going on. Something's going on, and we just heard about people dying. But we also remember the same guy healed the lame guy. So something's going on there. So we, we hold them in honor. We hold them in reverence, if you will. But, but I don't know if I want to get too close to that. And yet, I'm motivated because my uncle's sick, my grandfather's sick, my friend is sick, my wife's sick. And maybe, I don't know, maybe this guy, even if we could just get his shadow to fall on us, maybe we'll get healed. It's kind of this double kind of, I don't know yet, but I'm kind of, but I don't know, but I'm, you know, I want to die, but I, you know, I want to get healed. Something's happening. And that, that's exciting, guys. I never want to be a part of a congregation where nothing's happening. Something's happening here. They just can't put it all together yet. 
So they, they, they don't want to associate with that. And yet they're willing to say, well, if, if you can heal, I'll take the healing. Now, with the shadow, the Jews and Jewish tradition, not from the Mosaic law, but oral tradition, believed that your shadow was an extension of you. And so what they, they even had a law that said, if your shadow falls on a corpse, you are deemed unclean. If you walk by a corpse, because for Jews, they, it, was, it was very unclean to, to touch something dead. So if you walked by a corpse and your shadow fell on the corpse, you were deemed unclean. Your shadow was an extension of you. So what they really believed was, there's nothing in the text here that says Peter's shadow healed anyone. Sometimes I think that when we look at Paul's handkerchief or Peter's shadow, we look at elements or, or objects that are doing the healing, but we have nothing in here that says, and the shadow healed anyone. We have a lot in here that says people believed in a superstition that oh, if his shadow could fall on me, I'll be healed. But that's not what was happening here. Peter simply healed the lame man, and now he was kind of known for that, which I, I, I kind of believe, guys, that I'm not sure Peter wanted to be known for that. I think he wanted to preach God's word. In fact, when we get to Acts chapter 6, they're going to make a decision that kind of leans towards that, that we want to study and preach God's word more so, so we don't have time to do this other kind of stuff. It's an important value of the local church. Anyway, so with the shadow, people were getting healed by Peter or the Spirit through Peter, but not by his shadow. I just, I don't want you leaving thinking, is that really happening? Like, is his shadow literally, like, if they walk by and, it, they, you know, they're in his, in his area that they get healed? Not necessarily. Okay? It was just a large crowd, and that was the best they could do. Well, if I can't touch him personally, if I can't get close to him personally, maybe his shadow will fall on me. Okay? Um, look at verse 14, too, before we move on. I just want to note this. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. If you look at Acts 2, 41 and 47, numerical growth. If you look at Acts 4, 4, numerical growth. If you look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 and 7, numerical growth. If you look at Acts chapter 9, 31, numerical growth. Sometimes we really have a problem in the local church of, oh, you're going to that church, the big church. Oh, you're a part of that one, the mega church. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of numerical growth here in the scriptures. And I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Here's the difference, though, because I want to make this clear. Uh, and maybe we have a couple of uh, runners here. Um, what kind of growth was it, is the question. Does that make sense? Well, it says their numbers were being added, but my question, I guess, is what kind of growth? So do you know what the two options are, right? Do you know how churches grow today? What are, what, are the two op, what are the two ways churches grow? Either, okay, believer, non-believer, or we call that transfer growth, or new blood, right? And so transfer growth is, you know what, I'm sick of Cornerstone, I'm going over to Sun Valley. You know what, I'm sick of Sun Valley, I'm going over to Mission. Gosh, I'm so tired of Mission, I'm going over to Central. I hate Central, I'm going to Redemption, we have five megachurches, six megachurches within like a 10-mile radius of this place. And 
I mean, I teach over at Valley Christian High School. A lot of my students go to any one of those. And, you know, the kind of the, the message is all the same, guys, which is a little bit of difference with lighting and sound, but not terribly too much. Two screens on the side, big screen on the back. Um, this kind of seating, pretty much the same in all the venues. Uh, it's, they're big churches, and they function kind of the same. Not always, but mostly the same. So when you get tired of this place because Lynn says something or I say something or, or these guys say something that ticks you off, you go to Sun Valley and now they just went up one in attendance, that's transfer growth. But it's a wash, right? I mean, we lost one, they gained one. And then they're going to lose 10 and we're going to gain 10. And then that's not healthy growth. It's acceptable. We don't check you at the door. Well, where'd you come from? Sun Valley. Bloop, you know. How come John left Sun Valley? You know, we don't want to do that. But let me just ask this, I guess. Why is new blood better kind of growth? Just answer that question. Raise your hand. I got a couple of mic runners. What is so special about new blood growth? Meaning, and, and meaning um, new converts. Does that make sense? Okay, new blood meaning that, that I came in as a non-Christian and something you said or did or some small group or ministry or whatever I got saved through this church or this ministry, or, and now I'm coming in as a new believer. Do you understand that? Okay, transfer growth versus new blood. What's so special and dynamic about new blood? Because I'll tell you what, the, the, the flip side of that is it's messy, right? Transfer growth is convenient. Why? Because we know the routine. We know where to sit. We know what it means to stand and greet someone. You put on a smile face and you fake it for 30 seconds and then you sit down. We know when to come in. We know where to park. We're easy. When, if you leave here and go to Sun Valley or Missioner, you're an easy person to deal with. You know what the tithe is. You know how to do communion. You know where to drop your kids off. You know the system. New, new blood, man, it's messy. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what's going on here. So what's the upside? Why even have it? What's the benefit? This was new blood growth. This wasn't transfer growth. What's the upside? Uh, they're hungry and they're on fire. Have you ever been to, like I was at the Cardinals game on Sunday. Have you been to a Cardinals game? It is loud. Like, really loud. Like, we're winning. And so it's a good thing. And that game in particular, that was just ridiculously loud. Saw a fight in the stands. That was probably the best part of my day. Um, it's just, and, and it's exciting. It's loud. It's, it's, it's risky. You get people in here, guys, that just met Jesus a few days ago, a few weeks ago. They don't know enough not to be excited. They don't know enough not to know, hey, this is a marathon, man. This is like, you got to pace yourself here. Don't get terribly excited here. They're just like, man, what this, this is like, every time I pick this up, I'm learning something. Like, God is so good and theology and doctrine. I don't know. I don't know anything. I just know that Jesus saved me and I know this. My neighbor needs to know that. Do you know Jesus? Because you need to know him. Because I just found him, and you need to know him. See, and it's not until they get acclimated into the system do they realize, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You, <laughs> you got to create an environment, 
and you got to bring them stuff, and that made, that's, like a, that's like a couple years in the making, man. You just don't go and ask someone if they know Jesus. See, they don't know enough to know that. And yet, man, isn't it just alive and exciting? Isn't it so, just your heart just bursts when you see someone of any age in that mode of, I just am so in love with Jesus, I don't even know what I'm in love with. I just, I love him because he saved me. And here's my stuff, here's my junk, here's my, here's my history, and I've been redeemed from that. And that's about all I know. Ecclesi- I don't know where Ecclesiastes is. Habakkuk, I don't, where is that? What, what is, is that a store? I don't even know what that is. I just know Jesus saved me. And you want me to go share with someone? Why wouldn't I? Like, like I've, had, I've had new Christians guys ask me, like, why aren't you sharing more? Well, hey, hey, hey there. Like, that's their question. They don't know enough to not know, like, why wouldn't we do that? So when they read the Great Commission, they go do the Great Commission. And then they drag a bunch of us that have been around the church for a long time with them, and all of a sudden we catch on, and we realize, oh, yeah, that's what we should be doing. And now you've got new blood and you've got baptisms. Have you been to one of these baptisms here? Isn't that just electric? Every time there's a baptism, I just get like, that's why I'm here today. Those are people that are professing that Jesus is my Lord and it's big and it's just music and it's just crazy. I love it. That's new blood. Anyone else? Yeah. It was kind of one of the things that you touched on already. But new blood does two things. It rejuvenizes and reinvigorates old blood. And it also grows and expands. And it also gives new direction, too, because yeah. of the fact that they're so on fire. Yeah. And they haven't gotten kind of trampled down and beaten yeah. down by the nose and by the you're crazy and by the you're weird and whatever else might come by the world. So exactly it does. Right. It, it does just light you back on fire and and i i see it all the time actually in the baptisms i cry every time i don't even know the people and i'm crying yeah. for them i'm like oh my god yeah that's amazing yeah me too so absolutely that's that's, that's really? why the new blood's so important because if it was just your click yeah eventually it's gonna become stagnant and probably die off I, I, guys i'm a big fan of budgets i've been a part of church staffs for years and years and years and i know how the churches work i know the organization side of it but if if you ever leave cornerstone you go to a new church please 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 ask them two questions how many people did you save last year and how many people got baptized last year? That's all I need to know. And, and you figure out, based on the size of that church, if they're doing a pretty good job. If they're a church of 500 or 1,000 people and two people got saved last year and they baptized like zero, you know, we might have just ourselves a holy huddle over here that's just kind of getting busy with, you know, just learning about God's word, but we're not applying it. You've got to be out there. We've got to be out there with some new blood mixing it up. Because new blood does this, guys. New blood gets in the church and they say, hey, why do we do what we do? Why do we do communion once a month and not every week? Well, oops. <laughs> why do we, you know, why do we do second Saturdays? Why do we just have a singles women's ministry? Why can't we have a single man's ministry? I don't know. They, they, just, they, they just ask questions. They challenge the process. And it's invigorating. It needs to happen. I so, I, I seriously, I love being a part of this church because we're out there, we're going to have 10,000 people on this campus Friday night. Guess how many aren't going to know Jesus? I don't know, half? I mean, that's an opportunity 
for you and I not just to bring our kids and bring candy and ride the rides, but to engage in a conversation. Maybe the miracle is going to be that your Ferris wheel gets stuck upside down and you don't fall out. I don't know. And while you're hanging there, share Jesus with somebody. Because you're, you may go meet him soon. So share Jesus with somebody. Don't just look for the, you know, look for the, what is Cornerstone doing for me? But rather, Cornerstone tells us with Friends Sundays, they tell us with Halloween parties, they tell us with the Easter service, this is an opportunity. We are providing for you an opportunity. We're expecting God to show up, and then we're expecting you, me, to go talk to somebody about the good news, okay? So that's what, so I think the believers here that we're constantly being added, new blood, that's what keeps this thing going, okay? Third point, here we go, verse 17. Not a lot of people liked it, though. The third point is this. Uh, I'm sorry, the second point, yeah, uh, escape from pain doesn't mean to be idle. It just means that you're going to plunge into a new danger. Look at this, but the high priest rose up, verse 17, along with all the associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were these, they were the um, opposite party of the Pharisees, if you will. The, the Sadducees were more well-off than the, than the Pharisees. Uh, the one thing that kind of made them distinct from the Pharisees, Pharisees were, if you, if you, Pharisees were the obeyers of the law um, ad nauseum. The Sadducees were more well-off, another group, more political in nature, and they didn't believe in bodily resurrection. That was kind of their thing. No spiritual life after this. So here is what we have. Okay, that's going to come into play here in just a moment. The high priest rose up along with his associates and they were filled with jealousy, um, your text may say in verse 17. The word there is indignation and wrath. They were hot. They did not like this. People are coming to Jesus all over the place and these guys are hot about it. So 18, what do they do? They lay hands on the apostles and they put them in public jail. But an angel of the Lord, verse 19, during the night opened the gates of the prison taking them out, and he said, go your own way, verse 20. Stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Now, understand the irony. What threw them in jail? Preaching the message. An angel busts through the door. That was my angel kick. And he stands, and these, so two things about angels. One, they're super cool, they're powerful. And two, angels can talk, at least this one. So he busts through the door, and he stands over these guys, and he says, you're out, I'm getting you out. I'm busting you out, here we go. Shawshank Redemption action here, okay? We're going. So Peter and John have to be thinking, sweet, man, we're out. And then the message Go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. You didn't finish. You were kind of halfway through. And then they laid hands on you. They threw you in prison. So I'm breaking you free. But your job now is to go into some more danger. You're not, you're not standing idle. I'm not busting you out so you can write a book and have a, you know, a sitcom or something and tell people about how you were in prison and an angel showed up. No, go do the work. See, guys, we often, God, just deliver. If you could just deliver me from this trial, if you could just get me out of this pain, this circumstance, like that's all I'm asking for. And what God's saying is, 
you should be asking for a little more, which is, God, deliver me from this so I can go do the work. God, deliver me from this so I can continue to preach your word. See, this ailment I have, this cancer I have, this loss of job I have, this is tying me down right now. This, this physical ailment, I can't go do what I want to do. This, this, because I have to work 70 hours just to pay the bills, I can't go do what I want to do. God, free me from this, not so I can just be free from this. Comma, so because there are people that need to hear about you. And I just can't get to them when I'm focused on this. So that, is that our prayer? Is that what we're asking God for? Or do we simply just stop right here? God, just free me from this. Free me from this so I'll have a story to tell people about how you freed me from this. No, 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 no. Again, your story of how God freed you from this, that's the intro. That's the hook. I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked about my wife passing four years ago. That's the hook. That's not the story. The, the grief, and uh, that's not the story. We've got remarried, beautiful lady. That's not the story. The story is, I worship a God who saved me and my wife. She's in heaven now. I now belong to a, a, a wife who loves Jesus with all her heart. And you need to know Jesus because he could deliver you from trials and tragedies and pain. Do you know him? That's the prayer. He, he breaks them open. Here's where it gets wild. And upon hearing this, verse 21, they entered into the temple about daybreak, so they followed the, the angel's advice, which I think if an angel shows up and kicks open your door and says, go do, hey, here's some advice, free advice tonight, go do it. Because these angels are freakishly sick. Throughout the scriptures, they are so stinking powerful. So I think they took this guy's advice and just said, all right, we're gone. And so, so they go start teaching again. Now when the high priest, now this is just bizarre, though it's not. When the high priest and his associates had come, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons, so big group, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. Okay, new day, here we go, big meeting. We're going to teach these guys a lesson, verse 22. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison. And they returned and reported back saying, we found the prison house locked quite securely, by the way. And the guards were standing at the doors, but when we had opened up, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported and said, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. Here's the third point. Some people are blinded to the truth. But don't stop praying for them. Some family members, guys, some friends, some co-workers are hard-hearted and blinded. And you could, I had a roommate in college, my freshman year at ASU, I just came to know Jesus. I'm like three months into my walk with Jesus. I don't know anything. I had a junior for a roommate over at Manzanita Hall. His parents were both like, like 
super high professors. He was an atheist. They were atheists. He came to find out I knew Jesus. Game on. So I would wake up every day to a conversation of what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And what about that? And just he was kicking my butt. He really was. I just didn't know what to say. So finally, I just out of exhaustion, I just, his name was Ken. I said, Ken, If I, could, if I could produce Jesus right now in this room, the three of us, me, you, and Jesus, would you fall to your knees and worship him as Lord? And he said, absolutely I would. Which I wasn't really wanting him to say that because now it's back in my court, right? Like throw out the fleece, Greg, kind of a thing. So I'm like, crap. All right, so, so I said, I want you to hear me clearly. If I could produce Jesus right here, would you worship him? And he paused. And he said, I probably wouldn't even worship him if he showed up right now. Now guys, in that moment, the reason he said that was because he was smart enough to know there is like a one, one billionth chance that that could happen from his perspective. But what if it did? And now he's on the hook. So he declines the offer. Jesus Christ showing up in my dorm room at ASU. And this guy is so hard-hearted, he says, I wouldn't even come to Jesus or repent even if he showed up personally. So I said, I said Ken, honestly then, seriously, what would it take? You tell me the miracle. What would it take? And he thought for a moment, he said, how about this? How about Jesus shows up and the three of us, he, he transports us to the moon. I said, okay, all right. If I can pray right now that Jesus would show up and the three of us go to the moon, you'll, you'll become a Christian. You'll become a Christ follower. And he paused and he kind of smirked and he said, you know what, honestly, I wouldn't even become a Christ follower then. Like, I just don't buy your stuff. So even if he did that, I wouldn't, I'm not in. See, guys, some people, and you go to the jail cell, and you're like, okay, time for, you know, the party to begin, and it's empty. And then you hear news that the guys are in the temple again preaching God's word, doors securely shut, guards are at the door, no one can get in or out, and you don't have an inkling of, a, of the mindset to say, maybe, just maybe, just, you know, maybe what they're saying is right. You won't even go there. You'll just be perplexed. You'll just chalk it up to, I don't know how it happened. Some people in your life, guys, are hard-hearted. Some people in your life are blind right now. And you just got to keep praying. You just have to keep at it. Persevere and be persistent. God, may today be the day. God, may tomorrow be the day. God, may you please bring them to yourself. Because, guys, short of a miracle, they will remain hard-hearted. So keep praying. Keep being faithful. Here's some amazing... Yeah, I don't know if you're big on the rapture, the end times or whatnot. Do you realize that if the rapture really does happen, and let's just say a seventh of the world are followers of Jesus, and that's probably a big number, maybe it's less than that. But let's say a billion people on this planet know Jesus. 
you realize, guys, the majority of people don't know Jesus? I mean, you know that, right? You know that the majority, do you realize that the, the Islamic faith right now is hovering right around 1.5 billion followers? They don't know Jesus. Do you know that um, uh, other groups, including Hinduism and Buddhism and uh, Judaism, New Age, Scientology, collectively, they make up the majority, atheism, agnosticism, they make up the majority of the world. So if Jesus were to return tomorrow, and if you believe that the rapture is literal, 1 Thessalonians 4, we're gone. A billion people, roughly-ish, will disappear in a heartbeat. Now, you, you have to think that that would cause people to fall on their faces and say, you were right. Go to Revelation real quick, real, real fast. Go to the end of the, end of the Bible, book of Revelation. Let's go to Revelation chapter 9. Let's flip way to the end of your Bibles, Revelation chapter 9. And uh, let's pick it up. So we have now, we're into the, uh, the uh, judgments. So the Bible talks about after, again, depending on your timeline here, but let's just say after the church has been raptured, judgments will fall on the non-believers. Some will become believers. And these judgments, gang, even if you take them somewhat figurative, they're horrific. They're really, really bad. And they're going to come in succession, one after the other. Here right now, in chapter 9, we enter into the fifth trumpet judgment. There's the trumpet judgment, the seal judgment, and the bowl judgments. And then in verses 13, right around 13 to 21, we enter into the sixth trumpet judgment. Listen to this. Pick it up. I don't care. Pick it up in... Uh, in how uh, about 15? And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they may kill a third of mankind. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them, and this is how I saw, verse 17, in the vision, the horses and those who sat on them, the riders had breastplates the color of fire and hyacinth and of brimstone, and the heads of the horses are like heads of lions, and out of the mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. Verse 18, a third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. Listen to this, verse 20. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, what are the next few words? did not repent of the works of their hands, so not as to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and of brass and stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immoralities, nor of their thefts. No, no repentance at all. How do you not see that this is from God Almighty judging you for your works, your immoralities, and not repent. Okay, go to Revelation chapter 16. Go a couple, four or five pages over. More judgments fall now. We've got the first bold judgment. Chapter 16. Listen to this. Verse 2. Well, verse 1, and I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the seven bowls of the wrath of God into the earth. 
And the first angel went and poured out his bowl into the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore upon the men who had the mark of the beast who worshipped his image. Verse 3, and the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Smell anything bad lately? Can you imagine? You could walk on the sea if all the sea creatures rose up from death. Where do you put them? It's just a rotting bunch of carcasses. Verse 4, and the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of the waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, righteous art thou, righteous art thou who was, O holy one, because thou did judge these things, for they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, they deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And the fourth angel, verse 8, poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl upon the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And at the end of verse 11, and they did not repent of their deeds. We often look in amazement, I think, at our friends or our family members or those who don't know Jesus, far less aggressive than these people and we look at them and say well how how could you not see this it is so clear the gospel just take heart guys take heart be encouraged that that your sister your mother your cousin your co-worker they're blinded to the truth and only god can Wipe the scales off of their eyes. Your job, my job, is to simply do what these guys in Acts 5 were doing. Be faithful to be the messenger. Be faithful to share your story, to be there for them, continue to pray for them, and watch God do a miracle in their life. Because if and when he does, then they become this new blood that the church so desperately needs. And you'll be a part of their spiritual legacy. When all is said and done and we all die, I think the first 5,000 years of heaven will be, you don't know me, but so-and-so because of so-and-so, preached a so-and-so, I was at this camp and so-and-so and co-worker and I came to know Jesus. So thank you for sharing with so-and-so. Six degrees of separation kind of thing. It's an amazing thing. So, so take heart, okay? Uh, one more point and then we'll call it night. We'll pick it up, the, uh, we'll pick it up in... Um, in next week okay i'll leave you with this and it's more of a question than uh, a comment so maybe we can think about this for the next week and come back um look at verse 26 go back to chapter 5 verse 26 then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded uh, to bring them back without violence for they were afraid of the people lest they should be stoned when they brought them back when they brought peter and john back they stood before the council and the high priest questioned them Now listen to this, the high priest questions them and he says this, we gave you strict orders to not continue teaching in this name and behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your, what should be this guy's question? 
Before we begin the, you know, the indictment, seriously, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? Like, seriously, you're going to get hurt anyway. It doesn't matter. How'd you do it? Like, like we had guards. These guards are professionals. Door was locked. Like, I would bring the guys back to the jail cell like a magic trick. Like, I got to know. Like, I really have to know. And even if they said, angel, get out there and preach. Do you think he would have believed them? So he just starts with, hey, we gave you strict orders not to teach. Why are you still teaching? It just blows my mind. And maybe it's just, you know, curious by nature, but I got to know that. I would even lead with, listen, I'm not buying your message, so let's just, you know, let's just lay that out on the table. But seriously, I got to know, like, how'd you do it? And he doesn't even bother to ask. Don't be upset by that. Don't be upset when God does something amazing in your life and those around you aren't concerned in the least or aren't even amazed or aren't encouraged by that. You be encouraged. You be supported. You be filled so that if and when God does a work in their life, then you can say, hey, remember back when? And then it'll make sense. At this point, it just doesn't make sense. And that's okay. We don't need to be disheartened by that. Um, it's 8 o'clock. I promise to be done. And so mark your Bibles. Verse 27, we'll pick it back up. I got two more points for you, and then we'll get into Stephen's life. Let me go ahead and pray first, gang. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. Uh, it's just a joy, Father, to be a part of this body where we can gather on Tuesday nights and just, just talk about you. I pray, Father, maybe that, that some of us could be uh, maybe inspired and motivated by your word that uh, maybe there's people in our lives that we could be witnesses to. Maybe, God, for some of us, we are asking for deliverance, but we're not quite there in asking for a new adventure, a new danger, if you will. Maybe we be that bold. May we be that bold, God, because life is short. Heaven awaits all of us who know you, and heaven is going to be uh, a place of joy and rest, free from pain and suffering. So if we're going to suffer, Father, as you have promised in your word that it looks like we're going to if we know you, may we do it well. May we do it with our heads held high because of the encouragement of the local church. May we just come together in times like this and inspire one another, encourage one another, do all the one another's we're supposed to. I specifically pray for this Friday night, God, that you would use um, this fantastic group of hundreds of volunteers to uh, allow us to come and bring our friends, bring our neighbors, and uh, that you would provide that opportunity where we could look them in the face and just tell them our story, tell them how you did a work in our life, and ask them if they would like to know you. What, a, what, a, what an event it would be on Halloween night if people could come to know you right here on this campus. We'll give you all the praise, Father, today and forevermore, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next Tuesday.